Has anybody ever actually made an invisibility cloak? It depends what you mean by an invisibility cloak. The sort of stuff you see in Harry Potter films has never been made yet. There have been experiments to kind of test the theory of invisibility, but these experiments always featured invisibility in some reduced form. So they usually work for single frequency in optics color is frequency. So one could say they always work for, for a single color, but you know it's not always in the visible spectrum that they test these devices for. Perhaps like a green screen or a blue screen um, with that kind of colored background, it is possible to cloak something. Yes. Um, in fact, there is an additional twist to the story because it wasn't really for visible light that they tested these devices, but for microwaves. So, um, you know, for electromagnetic waves of much larger wavelength, because it's easier to do the experiments. And in fact, for military purposes, testing for microwaves is basically testing an invisibility cloak against a radar. Well, microwaves are still, still have shorter wavelengths than the you know, sort of stuff that military might be interested in, even though I guess military is, is, interest, is interested in everything. But the point is that microwaves, as well as visible light and ultraviolet light, these are all electromagnetic waves. So they, they are of the same physical stuff, they just have different wavelengths. Okay, now, when you mentioned the Duke group, um, did they actually cloak something with their five-inch wide cloak, or did they just do it on a computer simulating it? No, they actually did the experiment. That was the big thing. So um, they did it for microwaves, so it was a single frequency, and it was a single polarization. So, you know, just light coming from one specific direction with... Well, no, no, no the direction was not specific, but the way they polarized light was very restricted. But, you know, once it works for one frequency and one polarization, we know that it can work for pretty much any wavelength. The question is whether you can actually make it work for a number of frequencies. And this is where our work comes in. Yes, because before this it sounded like um, you had to have an object where you already knew what the background was. The object basically had to be holding still within that color field and not moving to a new color field. That's right, yes. How boring. Yes, it's quite boring. And you know, this, these restrictions come from superluminal propagation, the sort of stuff we got rid of in our articles. So the problem is that most of the convention, well, pretty much all the conventional proposals for invisibility cloaking feature predictions that light has to be accelerated to superluminal speeds, that means to light speeds that exceed the speed of light in vacuum. And, and you described it well in your paper, I think, if I understood it well, that um, it's better to slow the light down. Yes, so that really is the point, because you can quite remarkably, and against popular knowledge, it can, in fact, I mean, you can actually um, supersede the speed of light, so you can violate, in some sense, special relativity, and you can accelerate light to superluminal speeds, but as he said, this will work for only one frequency and against an unchanging background, so 
you can't transmit any information through this cloak because of because you can't really violate the law that you can't transmit information faster than the speed of light in vacuum. So um, this is why we wanted to slow the light phase down so that all the light speeds that we use in our that we use in our cloak will be less than the speed of light in vacuum so that the cloak we propose here would work for any frequency and would also work against an ever-changing background of uh, multiplicity of colors and you know anything it seems like kind of a simple problem you solved for since i don't know math and that's that it took so long to calculate how to adjust the frequencies for changing environments, what else could you do but slow the light down? Yes. Um, Just It takes a while to calculate the new way for the cloak to cloak itself. So the only way to do that was to make the light slower. Yes, that, that's right, yes. That's a funny way to put it, isn't it? Yes, well, um, you see, I mean, there is a physical problem here because just as in the case of a river, which has a rock in it, you know, if, if you have the river flowing around the rock, it will have to accelerate around the rock because, you know, the rock takes away space from, you know, from the way of the water. So it will have to kind of flow faster around it, like it's a pretty basic fluid dynamics that fluids speed up if they go through constrictions. So something similar happens in the case of invisibility cloaks. Since you want to cloak something and you want to guide light around this object in the middle, you, you'll have to accelerate in pretty much every case we knew so far. Um, you have to accelerate light to superluminal speeds. And th that is because otherwise you couldn't really bend the light. So what we did in this paper was that we kept the light bending, but instead of accelerating light, we now slowed it down with, you know, combining um, earlier invisibility cloaks with a very special background, the invisible sphere that featured in our article, and adjusted the cloak that even though we are slowing light rays down and not accelerating it, the light rays are still bent. So, you know, this is something you couldn't really do with the river. You couldn't really make water flow around the rock when you slow it down. But, well, I'm not sure how far we can stretch this analogy. Or, but I, I could also put it, so you have an optical media, uh, an optical medium with varying densities that will guide the light. And if you want to bend light, you'll have to rarefy the medium so that light would choose that curvy path so that it would kind of, you know, it will get attracted towards the regions where the medium is much rarer. There is less stuff there. Okay, well, we, we sort of all know that through optics fibers, that light can be bent through an optic fiber. Yes, that's right. But the trouble is that um, this bending comes with acceleration. So the challenge was to somehow keep this relative optical density distribution that earlier did the guiding, but still somehow put it in a medium that would slow the entire thing down, you know, so you would still get the relative differences that you had before, but the whole thing would sit in something that is so much denser than 
otherwise. So the density helps to slow it down? Yes. So um, the invisible sphere, I don't know if you remember it from the article. I kind of pictured it as a little globe that someone would hold in their hand. Um, actually, when designing this cloak, you can't really separate the two bits. So um, you couldn't really take it apart and have in one hand the invisible sphere and in the other hand the invisible cloak because it, they, they were fused already at the theoretical stage. So the end product will be a single cloak. So it's really the abilities that we combine here. But the point is that this medium is itself invisible. So, you know, if you have this cloak, okay, I, I, I think I know how I want to explain this. So earlier, if you had a cloak, you know, it, it always came with the prediction that light had to go faster than the speed of light in a vacuum. And what you could do, take this cloak and just put it in a thick, fat slab of glass. And, you know, in this thick, fat slab of glass, light would really go slowly. So if you kind of put this entire cloak in this thick, fat slab of glass, all the light rays would still do the same bending as before, but simply the speeds would be reduced. But the problem you would face is that even though the invisible cloak is still working, so the entire thing is invisible within the slab of glass, since the slab of glass itself is not invisible, therefore you can see that there is something. Maybe you think that it's a, just a transparent glass, but you can still see the glass. So it's not quite invisible. So the challenge was to find a thick, fat, you know, optical background that is itself invisible, but it, it is also so dense optically that it would still do the slowing of light that we did in the earlier case without achieving invisibility. Does that make sense? It sounds challenging, and, and at some point you'll have to make that big slab of glass be bendy too, because it is a cloak. Yes. Um, so in fact, this big fat slab of glass that we used was the invisible sphere, which gets pretty dense around its center, but you know it doesn't have a uniform density distribution. It, it, it has a very fast-changing density distribution. But um, you know, we, we kind of took this invisible sphere and had to fine-tune it in various ways to make it a useful background, one that would be just the right background, and then we figured out how to combine it with a cloak that was published in 2009, or at least a modified version of an earlier cloak. And this is how we achieved what we achieved. So this is how we got a cloak in which invisibility was still present, just as before, but all the line speeds were reduced to below the limit of the speed of light in vacuum. You know, it makes you appreciate a chameleon, one of those little creatures that can do all of this. Yes. So you think that you might at some point be able to apply this to the five-inch square uh, Duke cloak and actually make it be able to move between different color fields and different patterns of color? Yes. Um, actually, the Duke cloak might be problematic to combine with with this background we are using here because the Duke cloak has an entire region where the speed of light goes to infinity and calculations show that you know this cloak might just 
stay as it is and you, it would be very hard to do the slowing in that cloak but you know the cloak that we have here this might actually find its way into laboratories in a, I don't know when but when engineers take the time to start to build it and implement it. You had a clever way of putting the possible applications and how soon it might happen. I'm not sure I would want to talk about the potential military applications because that's not something I'm terribly keen on. But um, apart from those, um, this whole invisibility subject is based on transformation optics. That's the key word here, which is tells us how to control light and how to guide it the way we just pretty much any way we want to guide it around. And you know, this might lead to the birth of incredible optical devices, even this invisible sphere that we are using, one day you might be able to hold it in your hands. Or you know, you could you could use this entire technology to design perfect lenses. So lenses that are whose resolution power is not limited by um, by the wavelength of light because under ordinary circumstances you can't really form an image that has better resolution than the wavelength of the light you are using to create this picture. And it was actually Ulf Leonhardt, um, my supervisor, who showed it in 2009 and exper experimental evidence came in 2011 that perfect imaging that tells me why my colleague um, at our science show, Joel Parker, was so intrigued by this article. He's an astrophysicist. He'd like to be able to see those distant stars even better. That's also a very big thing. And, you know, it's a spin-off from the technology that, gave, that led to, you know, these invisibility um, theory and um, experiments. And, of course, you know, you could just kind of... Mm, start to, well, let your fantasies lose and, you know, think about the anti-wrinkle creams and the disappearing um, pod bellies under invisible belts and um, invisibility clothes that feature in films and, well, whatever you want to use invisibility for. I think there are it's, it's always, scientists are usually more interested in the theory and getting things work, but then come some of the, you know, clever marketing men and people who are producing uh, goods at a mass scale, and these people will just know what is the right thing to use these stuff for, what will sell and what will be good fun and what what is that people will enjoy. So I'm sure there are limitless possibilities to make use of this technology and invisibility itself. I'll bet you want to see this really happen. You, you, how soon do you think it might? That will very much depend on the money, time and effort that researchers and, you know, the money that, that researchers put into it and the money that funding agencies and governments give for these uh, researches to be continued. But I think it's still Quite, it might still be quite a few years off, since even though, you know, the theoretical hurdles are being cleared, and our article is one of the, um, you know, is one of these efforts that that were directed at clearing the theoretical hurdles. But there are still some quite a lot of practical hurdles because um, 
building these meta-materials that can actually implement these invisibility cloaks and perfect lenses are very, very difficult to build and very time-consuming and, and also they are cur currently rather uh, small as regards their scale. So it will take a lot, lot of engineering work and work in the labs before um, we can really see these things happen. So I think it's, it's, it's uh, maybe decades. Well, this is the start. Yes, but you, you know, there are always break, breakthroughs. So sometimes things come much, much faster than you would ever think. Well, thank you again for explaining it. It makes the world a more marvelous place to know that this might be possible. Well, um, I, I, I should like to think that science is making the world more marvelous. You again, very much, and pleasant evening to you there in, uh, in Hungary. Thank you very much, and thank you for your call, and um, I hope this show will um, go well and people will enjoy it.